A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Vladimir Ivich to my Slavisa Yukanovic. It's Justin Peach. Good afternoon to you, Ryan. Justin, how's it going? It's going great. A lot better than perhaps Mike might be feeling. Uh, <laughs> and obviously Ivich, yeah. You've, ju- you've jumped the gun there. We're joined on the show today by Mike from Voices of the Vic, the Watford Podcast. Mike, how's it going? Yeah, very well. It's a, just another day of being a Watford fan. <laughs> <laughs> Standard. A manager's been sacked. What a shock. Uh, we're joined on the show as well by Matt Shaw from the Huddersfield podcast, and he takes that chance. Matt, are you well? I'm good, mate. How are you guys? I am absolutely superb, thank you. So on the show today, we'll have a run through all the games from the Championship as well as the news from the second tier this past week. We'll have the polls as well. And of course, Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end. But we'll start off with the big news from last night. Vladimir Ivic has been sacked as Watford manager. He leaves with the club fifth in the Championship. Mike, what's your reaction to the news? Yeah, I mean, when when you just said then he he leaves with the club fifth and in the playoffs, everyone's sort of scratching their heads thinking, well, why have they sacked him then if if they're fifth? But if you watched Watford week in, week out, you could just tell with the style of football that he was playing, it just wasn't sustainable enough. We we definitely wouldn't have been going on. Bold shout, but I don't think we would have made the playoffs playing that type of football. And listen, I'm all for grinding out results, which we have to do in that league, but we, we just couldn't continue with the style of football he was going. You look at the players we got on that pitch and we, we're not utilising them properly. So uh, I'm not massively surprised, but it, it, what bugs me the most is everybody else outside the club that, is, as you say, like, oh, Watford have sacked another manager. And yeah, it's, you, you, you think you'd, you'd have learned to dealt with it now with the amount that we've got through but it's just um, I'm not surprised to be honest that he's gone mate yeah the thing we've been saying on the pod recently is that he's not getting the best out of the quality players you've got there like the likes of Saar Dini Kapue these are very good players who really should be in the Premier League but Saar in particular it's not working is it no, he doesn't. He doesn't look like the player he was last season, and then a lot of that is down to he, he's he's not been playing in his correct position. You know, we we started off the season. I think Ivic's hand has been forced a little bit, to be honest, because of the injuries we've had and players leaving. You know, you look at the team we had going into this season, and we had some exciting young foreign talent that unfortunately decided the championship wasn't to be for them and sort of set sail. So. <laughs> Yeah, his he's hand's been forced a lot, but with Ishmael Assar especially, we were playing him as a second striker almost, and you can tell as soon as a whistle blows, he finds himself going out wide because that's where he should naturally be playing. And he's he just looks... He looks like he's got no confidence. You know, I think there was a chance at nil-nil yesterday where you... you you'd sort of put your money on Saar beating the man going forward. And I think 
he, he sort of looked up, tried to go forward and then sort of brought the play back and he, it's affecting a lot of players in the squad. But Saar doesn't look, uh, he, he doesn't look like himself. He really doesn't. No, not at all. Well, Watford are now four points behind Bournemouth in second, seven points behind Norwich, who are top. So there's still plenty of time for whoever comes in to turn things around, isn't there? Uh, there is in the sense of the rest of the season but we've got Norwich on Boxing Day the next game so I don't know usually with Watford the, the, the pot shows are pretty quick they, they know pretty much who they're going to be bringing in uh, I hope uh, but you'd imagine today they've possibly got a day off and then the new manager's got what five days to work with a squad up against a, a, a team like Norwich and we lose that one and lose even more ground on them then we, we're in big trouble but in terms of the rest of the season Yes, he's got a long, long way to go. We're not quite halfway uh, at the halfway point yet. So, fingers crossed, he can turn the ship around and we can get a good new manager bounce going. And speaking of the new manager bounce, Mike, it's the million-dollar question: Who do you want to get in? Uh, well, who I want to get in, I don't actually know because it's got to that stage now where you're thinking who's available that would do a job. Um, I, it looks like that. Cisco Munoz he's going to be the man for the job I think he's 1 to 20 uh, on the betting market at the moment so it looks pretty much nailed on for him to get the job um, I, I wouldn't mind Slaven Bilic purely because he went up with West Brom last season but other than that I'm not a massive fan of Eddie Howe personally uh, So, and I know he's not in consideration an article's come out today saying that from, from a source within the club um, but I just want someone that actually uses the attacking talent we've got, to be honest. And if this Munoz is the man for the job, then listen, I'll back anyone that goes in at the end of the day. But I wouldn't say I have a clear favourite of who I'd want to go in. Just need some stability, mate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Isco Munoz, who is the manager at Dynamo Tbilisi. Uh, it's not the first time Watford have appointed a manager who no one has, in England has heard of. But it's worked for them before. Let's see if it works for them again. Let's talk about the actual game on Saturday, Matt. Your boys winning 2-0 against Watford. And I don't like using the word lucky, but Watford missed <laughs> a host of chances and then conceded two comical own goals so do you think on this occasion we could say Huddersfield were maybe a bit lucky do you know what I think Watford's awake it probably should have been a nice red with a little white trim and a couple of fake white beards to be honest because they came came offering Christmas presents Uh, the, the, (laughs) the first goal that Ben Foster you know Ben Foster we've done that several times this year been caught playing out from the back so it was actually nice to be on the receiving end of a gift this time rather than giving them away um so that that was nice but the Capui own goal was was amazing because it, it took me back to uh, the 90s. You know, you, I don't think you see on goals like that these days. You know, a lazy <laughs> swing and it, it catches off somebody's knee and just squirms in the net. And it's it's made for those uh, that YouTube uh, the the Twitter channels and the crap 90s football. And it's something that you would see on there. It's it was a fantastic um, throwback, if you like. Um, yeah, we we were. Um, but I also think we we played quite well in in a lot of respects going into it the the prediction from us was if we can take the ball away from Watford in the middle of the park uh, then we've got every chance of of doing something and the two goals being so quick obviously changed the dynamic and shape of the game so one thing that we've seen lately under Carlos Corbran is that if we've gone 2-0 up then what's happened is we've tended to now manage the games better whereas earlier on in the season it was more like a game of basketball you know you attack we attack but now what we're looking to do is we're looking to kind of solidify a bit more. And that allowed Watford to maybe get forward a little bit more and have more shots at goal. But 
were we lucky? The two goals, absolutely. Uh, maybe did we deserve some luck on this occasion? I, I think so. It's it's four four home wins in a row now, and we've beaten some good sides there. Middlesbrough we've beaten at home, so I don't think it's lucky that we're beating teams like this. But the goals, yeah, they were Christmas presents, weren't they? Speaking of lucky, Matt, we need to have a chat about Carlos <laughs> Corbrand's chinos. For anyone who's not aware, just fill us in on this mystical legwear. Yeah, so there are two two kind of um, styles that Carlos Corbrand goes for. One of them's a, a black New Balance trainer and, and cream chino combination, and the other one is is more of a whitey cream ch- New Balance black skinny jean combo. And we've worked out very quickly that the cream chinos are definitely the uh, the ones to go with. Um, whenever whenever Carlos wears those chinos, we seem to get a result. And and he's twigged now as well. So and, and if anyone's listened to Carlos Corbran, he's very straight. You know, in, in terms of you know post match, pre match, very straight. Apparently a little bit different on the training ground, but even he's now kind of sm- cracking a smile and saying, "Yeah, lucky chinos." And uh, you know, when um, with Christmas coming up and you get 50% off all these retailers on there, I think I think everyone in uh, around our corner of West Yorkshire has been having a good look for uh, a pair of skinny cream chinos. And it might not be that, you know, when fans are allowed back in the stadium, it might not be the best sight in Huddersfield, you know, with, uh, you know, our fans coming all shapes and sizes. And you might happen to see a couple of people, including myself, walking around in a very ill-fitting pair of uh, cream chinos. So <laughs> keep an eye out for that, yeah. I love that so much. Uh, the away side hasn't scored in a game featuring Huddersfield Town now for six games, which is interesting. But Justin, you're a big fan of Huddersfield, aren't you? And what Carlos Corbrand's doing there. It looks like he's building something, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I've said it almost every week um, as as the, as the weeks have gone by. What he's doing at, at Huddersfield is nothing short of a miracle. I mentioned the, the amount of defensive-minded managers that have come in and he's shifted the mentality of the playing the playing squad massively and um, he's getting the best out of players uh, one player I've got to mention is Fraser Campbell as Matt mentioned he was he was tremendous yesterday but he's made 19 appearances this season so he's, he's gone under the radar and obviously with, with Josh Caroma you know getting a lot of the plaudits going forward the work that Fraser Campbell do, does is you know he's very unselfish um, and he's been the the ideal player alongside the likes of Mbenza and Caroma because he does a lot of the a lot of the, I guess, the donkey work, you know, a lot of the running, a lot of the unattractive stuff. Um, yeah, so he's getting the best out of a squad that at the start of the season I was worried about. Um, you know, I thought it was a project that wouldn't wouldn't go far, but yeah, really happy with how they've progressed and they've become a really nice team to watch. Yeah, well, we both thought they'd be in trouble at the start of the season, but Carlos Corbin's turned it around, hasn't he? Matt, Mike, thanks for now. Listener, you are about to join me and Justin on a trip around the grounds. And we'll start off with the league leaders, Norwich, who beat Cardiff 2-0. Jacob Robinson's from Canary Cast. And it was a fairly comfortable win for your boys in the end, wasn't it, Jacob? Yeah, that, the, the game yesterday was superb. Emmy Buendir absolutely ran the show and showed why he's probably by far the best player in this in this league. You know, Cardiff were poor, only really set pieces. They didn't cut us open once in open play. And we should have had four or five, to be honest with you. We cut them open numerous times. Timmy Piggy just wasn't on it yesterday, which which is a shame considering he has been on red-hot form recently. But yeah, Buendir was different level, creating everything. I think five chances created in the game. Just taking players out of the game quite easily. And then Todd Cantwell played, came back in after a good, in, uh, a long injury break and uh, put in a really solid performance. All in all, yeah, very, very solid and kind of, I would say, alongside Bristol City, uh, our best performance this season. Yeah, he's still top of the table, five points clear of Bournemouth in second and seven points clear of Swansea in third. I was saying last week that I wasn't particularly sold on Norwich with the 
performances maybe not reflecting in the results. Uh, as a Norwich fan, what's your reaction to that? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? You know, <clears throat> talk about performances, results. Then, like you say, we're five points clear a second and seven a third. I think we haven't been too, doing too badly. Um, yeah, the performance have been mainly there. We haven't really been out of second gear. But to be honest with you, that's because we've had 14 first-team injuries, which we've barely had a bench for, for the last seven to eight games. And it just shows you how squad, how strong this squad is, that even with that many injuries, with a couple of games, no striker whatsoever, and having to go straight into the under-23s, we could bring them in on the bench. It just shows that we're still grinding out results, you know? We, we've dominated the ball in pretty much every game. And I wouldn't say as many games this season we've deserved to lose. If we've won it, we've deserved to win it. It's difficult because there's a lot more defensive teams in this this year and they just want are happy for a point, so it's a lot more difficult. And it is just going to be a grind this season. But you know what? I think we, we deserve to be where we are. Yeah, and admittedly, even from my perspective, if Norwich keep winning games at the rate they are, they're obviously just going to go up. I suppose January would be the big concern, wouldn't it, at this point? Because Emmy Brendee has been linked with a move away and, well, there's plenty of talented players in the Norwich squad. Are you at all worried about potentially losing players next month? I don't think you could sell Emmy Buendia for any price. <laughs> He's so, so key. Just, yeah, the, the chances created, the, the stats, it just speaks for themselves, really, don't they? He's by far our most important player going forward. Uh, yeah, like you say, Max Ahrens has had interest in him. Uh, Timu Puki, you know, scoring goals. For me, I, I can't see it. I think Stuart Webber will hold firm and just say, look, you've done this so far. It's gone with us this far in the season. You might as well stay until May. And then if bids come in, then we'll let you go. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting simply for the point of the player's mental being in terms of when Deer was obviously unsettled in, in the summer where there was no real interest if Arsenal put in a bid or any other club. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts. But I would hope to see them all stay and, and help keep, get, just get us up. That's one. Cheers, Jacob. Justin, a comfortable win in the end for Norwich. It, it really was, and, and and they're rolling. As simple as that, they're, they're rolling now, and they've beat a, you know, a fairly good side in Cardiff. You know, this would have been a test for Norwich because of how, you know, you could say how deep Cardiff defend, but how organised they can be defensively. Um, and the difference between these two sides, and I'm sure I'll go into it in a bit more detail when we talk about Cardiff, is that Norwich carved. Um, Cardiff opened several times in open play and they've got the quality to put their chances away and they did that uh, ruthlessly. Um, players are coming back, they're on a five-game winning streak, they've scored 10 in the process. You know, if you finish above this Norwich side, you will win automatic promotion. Simple as that. The Deadhead Club on Twitter said they were unfortunate not to score more. Uh, since I said last week Norwich haven't been particularly impressive, they've actually had two fairly comfortable wins, which is annoying for my agenda uh, Todd Cantwell scored a lovely goal on his first start in a couple of months the most memorable bit of this game for me though was Michael McGovern's save there was a header which he caught a bit awkwardly and he's nearly taken it over the line there was about a sixth of the ball that hadn't crossed the line it was amazing uh, but as Jake was just saying they uh, Cardiff were mainly limited to just set pieces which isn't necessarily a bad thing for Cardiff because they're so good at them but I thought Harry Wilson was moved out to the wing again and he's a bit wasted there. He's got to play down the middle for me, um, especially when you haven't got Kiefer Moore because you want your best players on the ball. What do you think? This is this is my issue with Cardiff is, yes, they are good at set pieces, but what can Cardiff do when they don't have opportunities to create from set pieces? Um, and as, as I alluded to when I was talking about Norwich, Cardiff don't create enough from open play. Um, the rest of the pitch all over, you know, is suffering. Against Norwich, for example, Cardiff created 
seven chances from set pieces. Thumbs up, double thumbs up. That's that's good. That's you know effective. But they created just three from open play. Um, they're a hard-working team with a hard-working blueprint, but the quality in the squad going forward, you have to be creating more. They scored just 10 goals from open play this season, <clears throat> which ranks them 16th for, for goals from open play, um, which, you know, you're below the likes of Preston, you know, teams that are down there. Um, you know, and you can be amazing from set pieces, and granted, Cardiff are, but if you're not creating enough chances from open play, you're not going to get the results you need. And it's a major weakness in the side, and that criticism has to be directed at Neil Harris. Well, Cardiff are 10th, four points off the top six now. A team that's moved into the top six is Middlesbrough. They spanked Birmingham 4-1 in the Ito Karanka derby. Johnny Bullocks from the Borough Breakdown podcast. Johnny, is Ito Karanka still well thought of at Middlesbrough? Yeah, it was the Ito Karanka derby. And Middlesbrough fans still do love Ito. Um, Ito was fantastic for us and we played some great football. And he got us promoted after many years in the wilderness. Um, in, in the championship so um, yeah we st- we still do love it all but everyone at this moment in time is horny for warney um we don't play the great football we don't play fantastic football under neil warnock but i tell you what ryan we are probably the most hard working team in the division by a country mile and um, we do the dirty side of the games right and we've just been grinding out results and i think that's what it's all about Johnny, I could quite happily just sit here and listen to you say I tour for the rest of the day, but we must move on because four goals for Middlesbrough, a Middlesbrough side who have been struggling to score this season. Are you hopeful that this will be a sign of things to come? <laughs> if, uh, if if you want me to say I tour uh, as many times as you want to put it as a ringtone for you, right, then, uh, then I will for you, mate. But um, I think for Boren and the goal scoring side of things, we've changed quite a lot over the last three games and the one big change is that we're just starting to gamble more in the box. Uh, we said on the board breakdown that we seem to be very static in and around them. We weren't trying to support the centre forwards. Only really to be one or two men in the box um, at a given time. But, but that lately, we just seem to have that charisma and that drive to get forward. And we seem to be rewarded for that. Um, it was great to score four goals yesterday and three against Millwall and obviously the one against Lewin. But it's just nice to see us scoring goals. If we can keep that up and keep gambling and try to create chances then wow we could we could be somewhere at the end of the season yeah that was going to be my final question top six what do you got to do to stay there do you reckon you've got to strengthen in January yeah absolutely I think we need uh, we need to strengthen uh, there's no doubt about it the squad is really thin um, if we can try and bring in Grzycki or Yannick Balassi um, then that'd be fantastic signings. Um, I think Krasicki, Balassi and Alex Mowat is the three signings that uh, Neil Warnock wants. And if we can do that, then fantastic. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a weird year this year. If we if we have to follow and, and stick to the budget, then that's absolutely fine for me. I think Borough fans this year should have no expectations to where we should finish this year. Um, we had such a bad season last year and if we can finish mid-table, <laughs> even top six, that is an absolutely fantastic achievement and Neil Wong deserves all the credit. But yeah, if we can strengthen in January, then perfect. But if we can't cause a budget in, then, then don't worry about it. We've had a good season so far and we probably won't ruin it. Nice one. Cheers, Johnny. Alfie on Twitter called the Borough Performance Clinical. Richie said it was mint. Dave said it was formidable with emphasis on the four because they won 4-1. Get it? Uh, Borough for the top six. They had a blip a few weeks ago, but it seems to be just that, a blip for now. What do you think? There's certainly argument for it. The difference between this Borough side now than perhaps six weeks ago is 
other players are contributing to goals. You've got a Sombolonga scored a couple in the last few games. Lewis Wings, you know, the goal. Lewis Wings scored the final goal, didn't he? Yes. I didn't even consider who it might be. He's the only player I know who can hit it that cleanly from that far out. <laughs> um, and obviously George Chavel as well. It's it's just a ton it needed. So yeah, you know, if they can consistently get other players scoring, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. With any with a Neil Warnock side, anything is possible. <laughs> uh, they've had such a thin squad this season, have Borough, and hmm. he's got them currently sitting in the top six. It's remarkable. It's quite easy to take for granted how good a manager Neil Warnock is at this level, but let's just really appreciate for a second how much of a genius this man is. Love him or hate him, no one can deny he knows how to make a team work in the championship. Can Borough stay in the top six? The only thing is scoring goals, isn't it? And as you've just mentioned, they had more players help out here. Um, we've mentioned before, they're defensively superb. The only thing is, they need that striker. Now, the question is, can they get one in in January? They're a bit limited for funds. Uh, and they have got Ashley Fletcher, who is still waiting to come back. He's supposed to be back in February, hopefully. Uh, but even when he's back, will he hit the ground running? So... Who knows whether they're getting a striker or not. I know they're on about getting in Yannick Balassi. Uh, and Kamel Grasicki also been mentioned. So they could also help out with the goal-scoring side of things. But we'll have to wait and see. Birmingham, Sean on Twitter called this performance a shambles. Um, first off, it's got to be mentioned about Neil Etheridge's goalkeeping for the third one. It's got to be one of the worst clangers I've seen in the Championship this season. Maybe even ever. He wasn't challenged. It's it's something yeah. you see on a Sunday morning from a goalkeeper who isn't a goalkeeper. He's um, also 14. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is a surprise because of how good he is in goal. Um, yeah. And maybe he could have kept out Lewis Wing's goal, but he did hit it really well, as I said. Um, so, yeah. He, he, I'm sure he's very disappointed <laughs> with both of the goals. Yeah. Uh, we can't hold too much against him because he's been a good signing for uh, mm. Birmingham since he came in in the summer but it is three straight losses Birmingham are now 17th in the table if I'm being brutally honest Justin I can't see them finishing anywhere else than around there come the end of the season because if I could sum up this Birmingham team as a whole in a couple of words it would be below average because that's mm. what they are a below average side not bad enough to go down not good enough to be challenging in the top half and I think it sums up pretty much the whole side how many players in this Birmingham team would get into a top half side. Ivan Sanchez maybe, but he blows hot and cold and I genuinely don't think anyone else would. They've got 25 million from selling Jude Bellingham in the summer and they invested it in average players, the likes of George Friend, Adam Clayton. Once upon a time, they were very good championship players, but they're not going to take you to the next level now. The likes of Leko, Halilovic, they could become good players, but I ultimately see them as low-risk signings really. So... I think the recruitment at Birmingham has really let them down and that's ultimately what's led to what is going to be a season of disappointment. Yeah, going into this game, just to sum it up even more, going into this game, Borough just won one game away from home and scored just five goals away from home. They go into this, they put four past you. It's it's not good. Um, and what made it worse, obviously Birmingham City went 1-0 up. Um, they could have gone 2-0 up with Hogan. Um, and after that, they made it so easy. They made it so easy for, for Borough. Um, and it, yeah, it just started to go wrong. The Savile goal, for example, Marvin Johnson had a lot of time to get the cross in and George Savile was unmarked. The defending, granted, they haven't conceded that many goals, but the defending at times is 
isn't very good. I don't no. rate Harley Dean very highly at all. I, yeah, as you pointed out, it's a below average side, um, and that's and that's down to the recruitment over the years. They've spent over the odds on certain on certain players and not recruit money on them, and they've had to sell one of the best at well the best academy talent they've had through the doors ever um, to to recoup you know the the losses from from those players and. As you said, they haven't reinvested much of that money back into this one. No, you're spot on. Um, what you were saying about the defensive side of things, this is an Ito Karanka side, and mm-hmm. he specialises <clears throat> in being defensively solid. But when you look at the stats, I think expected goals against, they've actually been quite vulnerable in terms mm-hmm. of conceding chances. Um, and they don't score many goals either. So it is a bit of concern. But I, I, as I say, I think they're just settled or destined rather to finish where they are now pretty much uh, Stoke 1 Blackburn nil. Stoke up to 7th with this win but for Blackburn it's just one win from the last 5 Ryan Hildred is from Rovers chat Ryan you had quite a few chances in this game so I imagine it was quite frustrating for you yeah it was a frustrating game absolutely um, not as many chances as the stats might suggest actually uh, we hit the post with Barry Douglas in the first half and if that goes in and it's 1-1 at half time it could be a different game but Second half in particular, it was just a lot of huffing and puffing with the possession, not really making the breakthrough. And all credit to Stoke, you know, they get the early goal and and Michael O'Neill has done this time and time before with Northern Ireland in particular, you know, defend it out. And I've said before on the Rovers chat show and and with you as well that um, that is Rovers' weakness this season. When a team does sit back and allow us possession of the football, as nice as we are to watch, as you know, frightening as we have been in attack this season. Um, there have been those games like the one yesterday, like Middlesbrough and Cardiff at home, Forest at home as well, where we have struggled. Um, and, and that's how it was yesterday. And as a fan, yeah, that's entirely frustrating uh, for a side like Rovers um, to lose 1-0. It's, it's disappointing. And it's another side above us that we haven't beaten and we are in the table where we deserve to be in that regard. Yeah, that's the thing we've been saying on the pod recently that Blackburn are yet to beat a side in the top half. And when you're a side hoping to get in the playoffs this season, that's a concern, isn't it? It is concerning. And, and that's the type of stuff that catches up with you eventually. Um, whilst you're still, you know, before the halfway mark in a season, you've still got plenty of games where you can make up the ground and, and things like that. But, you know, once we get past the halfway mark and into January, February time, if we are still where we are, five, six points off the playoffs and, and not beating these sides and making up the ground, then you've got to go on some kind of sensational run to then make the playoffs. So, yeah, it is a concern, and and we have got to start dispatching some of these teams so that we can close the gap and and really get into the pack. Um, The bit I'm holding as a crumb of comfort is we have played the majority of the sides above us away from home now, so if we can turn the home form into something decent and make it difficult at Ewood Park, some of these sides like Watford, like Bournemouth, like Swansea that we played away from home, can get those results at home and, and carry on getting those results uh, against the sides below us, then maybe we can make a good fist of it. But absolutely, we've got to start beating these sides above um, now and, and turning some of those good performances into results. And Ryan, January's coming up. Uh, Blackburn have got a pretty solid squad, haven't they? Loads of quality, loads of depth. Do you think you'll be bringing anyone in next month? Tony Mowbray's already gone on record as saying that the finances probably aren't there for us to do much in the January transfer window. So um, unless it's a free transfer or indeed a cheap Premier League loan or something like that, I can't see us bringing anyone in. But 
Um, centre-back is an area where we do need to be looking at because it's three injuries that we've got there at the moment. Scott Wharton and Derek Williams long-term and, and Ayala was injured again yesterday. So Bradley Johnson ended up at centre-back. Um, there is then the debate, you know, what do you do if a big bid comes in for the likes of Adam Armstrong, for example? So, you know, maybe there might be an asset sold, maybe not an Armstrong, but someone else just to generate a bit of cash and, and get some players over the line that way. Um, more concerning is the players we've actually got rather than the ones that we want to buy. Um, there is a long list of players who are either out of contract in the summer or, or next summer, and that is a concern. And some of these players can start talking to clubs in January as well. So for me, all of our focus should be on the squad that we've currently got before we're looking elsewhere. Thank you, Ryan. As I was just saying, Justin, Blackburn still yet to win against a top half side, which is, it's just an amazing stat really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I had the pleasure of speaking to Ryan on Friday. Uh, and obviously we spoke about, um, you know, the, the, the tag that Blackburn have got of being, uh, being flat track bullies, which we've mentioned in the past. Um, and as you say, if they, if they can't beat sides above them, then they're not going to challenge for the top six. They create a lot of chances. They haven't been putting them away, and you know they they came across a very stubborn Stoke side, um, and they couldn't break them down. Um, trying to get into the top six, you're going to come across teams that are going to be stubborn against you, and you have to find ways to to break them down to to get ahead of them. And they haven't done that yet. And as I say, that's that's letting them down massively. Yeah, I think they might just be lacking a bit of creativity in the middle. Because I mean, Harvey Elliott is superbly creative even for a 17-year-old. But <laughs> I, I'm not sure the rest of the side are maybe contributing to as many chances, which is a bit surprising, really, because you've got the likes of Barry Douglas, who is creative enough from a left-back, and uh, the likes of Lewis Holtby in the middle as well. But I don't know. It, I, I, the fact that they've not been a top-half side is amazing, uh, considering they've <laughs> battered plenty of times, plenty of teams this season. Uh, Blackburn had a young lad come on called Daniel Butterworth, who I can't help but think sounds like a character from Harry Potter. Um, mm. In other news, Lloyd on Twitter says Stoke were a brick wall. Matt says they were solid. Charlie called it efficient. What did you make of the performance? Yeah, um, they, they summed it up efficient. Um, and that, what, that, that for me is why Michael O'Neill is the best manager in the league. Hands down. Yeah, I think he's the best manager in the league. Better than Warnock? Had, I think he is, yeah, absolutely. Wow. He's had the nous to change things up you know you, I know every manager has had injuries but you know Stoke have managed to maintain some some you know element of form um, and to step away from a formula that was working for them obviously Tyrese Campbell's got injured so that that, that forward line's had to change good managers do that and they frustrated Blackburn you know you know Blackburn made Stoke defend for a lot of the game and they went one up in the first 10 minutes and it, and it helped um, and that for me is, is as I say is why is why Stoke are probably more of a contender for a top six than, than Blackburn are because they've got this ability to change things up that most teams don't actually. And because they've got Michael O'Neill as well, who as you say well, you is he's definitely one of the best managers in the league for me. Um, this was just a thorough shit housing. Stoke soaked up everything that Blackburn threw at them and it was a very well managed game by Michael O'Neill. I agree with you that I think he's one of the best managers in the league. Uh, the best, I'm not sure, because Warnock at this level is just ridiculous. But he's definitely up there. And I think he could do a job at Premier League level, hopefully with the Stoke side at some point. Right, Justin, let's have a break. Uh, after that, we'll talk about uh, Wickham, Wednesday and Brentford.
Are you struggling for present ideas this Christmas? Have you thought about getting a Dortmund shirt for your dad? What about some Barcelona shorts for your brother? Or maybe even a Lazio jumper for that special someone in your life? Classic Football Shirts has everything you need for any football mad people you're buying for this Christmas. Whether it's a Blackburn shirt from 2007 or even Middlesbrough themed loungewear, whoever they support, they'll have something for their club. Have a look for yourself at classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We had the Gareth Ainsworth derby at Adams Park between Wickham and QPR. It finished one all. Phil Catspulse from the Wickham podcast ringing the blues. What did you make of the game, Phil? It was a game that really summed up Wickham in the last 10 championship matches, to be honest. Uh, They're getting uh, punished, really, for mistakes in both penalty areas. Wickham gifted QPR a goal and were wasteful in in front of goal. Scott Cashgate in the early minutes missed a really, really great chance. He missed another one in the second half as well. There's a few others guilty of not being clinical enough. And yesterday was a perfect example of where Wickham have been uh, falling down in the last sort of eight, nine, ten games, really. QPR should have lost that yesterday on the balance of play. They didn't play well. And Wickham will look at that as two points dropped. Yeah, that's something that's actually happened quite a few times for Wickham this season. They've only got the two wins so far, but there have been plenty of games where they have been the better side. And the two wins seems a bit of a disservice, really. Yeah, it has really. And, you know, I'm not sure if it's a disservice or not, because it's a simple game. We can make it simple at times, especially when they're winning in League One um, and not having much possession. You've got to be clinical. You've got to take your chances. And that's the big difference between League One and the Championship is that when you make a mistake, you get punished. And when you don't take your chances when they come along, you also get punished. And and Wickham have have learnt that harsh lesson a few times this season now. Um, It's not going to change. They need to put their chances away and that will make things a lot easier. It goes without saying, really. It's an obvious thing to say, but... You know, no one's feeling sorry for themselves. They understand where they are in the championship and they've earned the right to play at that level and they've got to learn and learn fast. And finally, Phil, since 2004, only three teams out of 16 have been bottom of the championship at Christmas and managed to stay up. So with that being said, the thing we've been saying recently on the pod is Wickham are drawing loads of games, but they need to start turning some of those draws into wins. That's fairly, fairly obvious, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You can't disagree with the fact that Wickham need to win more games. Um, I'll tell you what, what though, only three teams have done it since that date you gave me, but that means that it can be done. And that's what Gareth Ainsworth will be telling the players. Um, look, everyone wrote Wickham off before a ball was kicked this season. And some of them may be feeling quite justified in doing so. But I think a lot of people are surprised how competitive Wickham have been. We mentioned it earlier on, didn't we, about how they're competing and drawing and getting on in games. But they need to be more clinical. Um, but because they're working hard and competing and the fight and the belief is still there, then anything is possible. Yes, they need to win more. Can they do it? Maybe. Let's see. You know, there's been alluded to maybe some business in January. Uh, they still need to really be in touch over Christmas if possible. Uh, if they can get through the busy fixture schedule, they've got injuries to come back. So, yeah, I think they can do it. But, yeah, of course, win more games, definitely. Be more clinical, as Gareth Ainsworth said yesterday. Cheers for that, Phil. He's feeling very positive still about Wickham's chances of staying up. I think Wickham will feel very hard done by from this game, Justin. Do you agree? Because 
they had a clear penalty for handball not given after Lyndon Dykes. He, he, he kind of just armed it away, didn't he? But the referee <laughs> it was just really obvious. It was so obvious. I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't give it. But the thing is, as well, they've had a few big decisions go against them this season, maybe even more so than anyone else in the division. So they have been fairly unlucky, haven't they? Yeah, I, I was going to bring this up actually. Um, you know, aside from the penalty, I thought Wick, Wickham was superb. I thought they battered QPR. Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, but you know, why aren't Wickham getting decisions? You know, do referees think because they're a small club they can get away with it a little bit? Um, yeah, I just I don't know because, as you said, and you know we've said about it on the podcast um, previously this season, they've had four or five big decisions go against them that were incredibly obvious that it should have gone Wickham's way. This is another one. Um, it's it's bizarre and. It's unlucky and perhaps a bit unfair as well. Yeah, uh, every side has decisions go against them, don't they? But I feel, for some reason, Wickham just seem... I don't have the official stats in me, if there is any official stats on this. But in terms of game-changing big decisions, they seem to have the most go against them. I don't know why it happens either. Uh, At one point, Wickham had Adebayo, Akinfema and Uchi Ikpiatsu up front in this game. I don't think I've ever seen a strike partnership as massive as those two. In fact, if if you want a summary of how big those two are, they were the two strongest players on FIFA last year. There you go. Uh, I felt sorry for the QPR defence when they were both on the pitch. Uh, for QPR, I'd call this a performance that is going to do absolutely nothing to ease the pressure on Mark Warburton. No, you've as I say, you've got you've got to question QPR here. Wickham with a better side. Um, you said, you know, we've mentioned the penalty. Kashkit missed an open goal as well. This QPR side is is one that's very low on confidence. They conceded in the 88th minute. Um, you know, they couldn't see the game out uh, defensively. We know they're not very good going forward. Things have dried up. Um, there's not really much more to say about QPR other than, you know, it's probably the right time to to change a manager. I said it um, in the week that there are a lot of good managers out there that will do a very good job with this. I think one of the better side, one of the better squads in the in the championship, especially uh, certainly I think a, a mid table to top half side. Um, it's got it's got a lot uh, a lot in this squad, um, and they recruited well in the summer. Got to yeah. do, they've got to do better. Yeah, definitely. They're just four points above the bottom three now, which is not great for QPR. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday won. Justin, it's Tony Pulis's first victory as Wednesday manager. They beat Coventry one nil. Hallelujah. Sorry, just clearing his nose bleed. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you make of the performance? Um, typical, typical Wednesday under Pulis, wasn't it? Really, they were they were resolute. They didn't allow Coventry to get in, um, to really get into the game the way um, Coventry have been able to do in recently. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. It's pretty hard to sum up Wednesday under Pulis because it's pretty much the same every week. Um, yeah, you know they scored from a set piece. Uh, it didn't create too much other than um, you know a handful of chances, but f- you can just feel the weight lifting. Um, you know, uh, Derby had it a couple of weeks ago when they beat Millwall. This Wednesday side are going to have it now. Couldn't they go on, a, on a, an unbeaten run? I don't know, but it's something that they need to build on. When you say it was pretty much the same as every week, you're not too wrong, really. It was by no means a pretty performance. Kieran Westwood had to make some good saves. Mm-hmm. I think the main difference, if there was any, was that 
by most accounts, there seemed to be a lot more effort by the Wednesday players, which is perhaps surprising considering the news about wages, which we'll get onto a bit later in the news, Justin. But I'm by no means getting carried away with this result. It's going to be a slog for them to get out of position they're in. And Coventry haven't pulled up many trees this season either. So, uh, But you can't deny it isn't a massive result because the gap to safety was looking massive and seemingly getting bigger very quickly. But one of the team's... Wednesday will be looking to catch up with is Coventry, who were unbeaten in eight prior to this game. But this wasn't a great performance, was it? No, and it's it's just typical, isn't it, that this unbeaten run comes against a team who could not buy a win for love nor money. Um, and yeah, it's it wasn't a pretty performance um, from Coventry, and perhaps the experience of this Wednesday side was just you know a step too far. And as soon as they go one nil up, it's going to be difficult to break them down. But you know what Coventry have managed to do? They've managed to completely change their mentality from what it was in the first sort of quarter of the season to, to going into the second quarter, and that's going to stand them in good stead. I think, you know, eight games of beating is a very good run of form. They got to turn some of those draws into wins, but they managed to get results against teams that are down there with them, which is important. Apart from Wednesday, obviously. The Sky Blue Hub called the performance predictable. They look much better with Gustavo Hammer and the team. And he is so important for them and they badly missed him in this game. So hopefully when he's back, the cog will start turning again. At the Brentford Community Stadium, Brentford beat Reading 3-1. Brian and Boomer getting two of them. He's back, baby. And I say that because by all accounts, he's been pretty poor this season. But here, he looked like the player we saw last season who was tearing fullbacks to shreds, Justin. I mean, both his goals, the way he took them, the, 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 the first one was a lovely, lovely finish for cutting in from the right, and then the second one was good movement, good run with the ball, and a very tidy finish. And as well as that, you know, Jansen stepped up as well, and obviously he scored as well, but he's been really poor as well this season, compared to last season anyway. So those two stepping up is, is really big for, for Brentford, and as you say, you know, getting players like Brian and I call him Embuemo. There's so many different pronunciations of his second name now. I've gone with Mboumer mm. because more people seem to call him Mboumer. But Embremo is much easier to say. Whatever the case, we'll, we'll, one of us will each, at least butcher it. But, you know, should we, we just on. Should we just stick with, I'll say Mboumer, you say Embremo. That way, mm. at least one of us is right. Yeah, we cover our cards, don't we? Yeah, deal. Ivan Tony didn't score, meaning he's on a drought of 117 <laughs> minutes without a goal. What a fraud. Uh, Brentford have quietly <laughs> snuck up to fourth three points behind Bournemouth in second it seems like last season they were battering teams so they caught the eye despite not necessarily being in the race for promotion all season but this season they seem more than happy to grind out results and as Billy from Besotted was saying not long ago they're winning ugly and maybe that's why they've gone a bit under the radar this season what do you think? I, I completely agree and I think part of that is down to Vitali Janil in midfield. And I'm going to give a special mention to him here because he gives that midfield a different balance to what Norgard does. Norgard's a very pretty player on the ball, very neat and tidy with his passing, whereas Janil is... I saw a couple of tackles and there were some meaty challenges, uh, to say the least. And perhaps they need that. They need a bit of ugliness. And as you say, that probably lends into you know them winning ugly a little bit. But since he came in um, and started his run of games, since I think it was the 24th of November, he started this consecutive run of games they've only conceded six goals so that tells you exactly what he's bringing to the midfield and there's a bit more control when you have that sort of midfielder in um, in your team yeah he's been quality this season hasn't he Thomas Frank said after the game that at the end of the season they'll look back on this result and say it was a big win which is very interesting so he's very happy with the result uh, Rafael Cabral had a howler 
for Reading in goal. This time parrying Matthias Jensen's shots for his leg. Um, not the first time he's made a mistake this season either. But it's another loss for Reading. They've had three in the last four now and have dropped out of the playoffs for the first time this season. Now, I of course said earlier in the season that Reading would slide down the table because they weren't actually playing that well. However, their recent form is more down to injuries, isn't it? Their bench for this game is mostly made up of young lads. They badly need their big guns back fit, don't they? They do, and you know it's it's really hard to get going when you know you've got players missing, especially players like Lucas Jao's your top scorer, Yaku Mate is so good coming in off the right. You know when you big when your big players are missing, it's really hard to just not necessarily get up for the game because that's a discredit to to what Reading do. But you sort of you know you ask where are the goals going to come from. You know if you've got no goals, you know the rest of your game slips. Um, but as you say, it's, it's two wins in six now. It's not top six form. You know, are we seeing this Reading side drop off? Yes. You know, will it improve when players get back? Draw is out. The thing is, you've got the teams around them who are winning games as well. The likes mm-hmm. of Borough, Stoke. These teams seem to be going in the right direction, whereas Reading are either stalling or going backwards. Let's go to a game on what was probably the worst pitch I've ever seen at Championship level. Swansea 2, Barnsley 0. The pitch was so bad, Justin, that I wouldn't have blamed the referee for calling it off it wasn't waterlogged or anything it had just gotten in such a state that it was so bad that it kind of overshadowed the game really after the game Valerie and Ishmael accused Swansea of just playing long ball which must be the first time anyone has said that about Swansea in a good 15 years or so but it gives you an idea of what the players were having to work with here more on the pitch a bit later in the news because Swansea needed this result to bounce back after the loss to Derby in midweek didn't they Yep, absolutely. Getting a clean sheet again just you know reaffirms their. I don't think the the, the game midweek against Derby was a fluke. I thought Swansea were really poor. Derby punished them, um, but it, as I say, it reaffirms them for me being the best defensive side in the league because they go one up and they they have the ability to control teams without really having to do too much. You know they have a, a really tidy back three and they got the wing backs as well. Yeah, it helps in an attacking sense, but defensively. You can go into a back five and it, it's hard for teams to break break you down. Um, but they did a really good job of shutting out Barnsley. And um, they, they could have maybe... Um, Yandanda went through on goal and got pummeled by Jack Walton. What I'm trying to say is it could have gone a bit more their way had Walton been sent off. Yeah, I know what you mean. Jeremy on Twitter called the performance unyielding. And you were right, the Swansea defence again were just so good, particularly Mark Gerhi, who I'm starting to fall in love with a bit. He is <laughs> he is just brilliant. A 20-year-old lad who, he puts in a 7 out of 10 performance at least in every game so far this season. He's consistently solid. The thing is, for a centre-back, he's not too tall. He's only five foot ten, I think. But he reads the game so well, especially for a young lad. And he can also play out from the back. And I'll say this now, Justin. It wouldn't surprise me if he was playing for Chelsea next season. He's obviously on loan from there. With Steve Cooper, he's got the perfect manager to help him develop. And Frank Lampard likes to give young players a chance. He is a serious player. I would not rule it out. Getting Gehe on an 18-month loan deal was probably a better signing than getting Conor Gallagher and Ryan Brewster last season. Which is a bit of a statement, but I'm going to lay it out there. Uh, I can see what you mean. In terms of going forwards, they definitely miss a striker like Brewster, don't yeah. they? But Gurhi has been so good for them this season. So, so good. 
Uh, Barnsley still only five points off the top six despite this loss. Luton nil, Bournemouth nil. Probably not the result Jason Tindall would have been after coming into this game. No, definitely not. Um, but, you know, I thought Luton were the better team in this game. Um, but as you say, it's not a result that Jason Tindall would have wanted because they'd have seen Luton and probably looked at it on paper as a, a game they should win. But as I say, Luton made it hard. Five clean sheets on the spin for Bournemouth is pretty good. Um, you need a steady, sturdy defence, as we've seen with um, teams that are up there. They've all got pretty good defences. Norwich being top have um, got one of the weaker defences, which is, you know, the top of the league so it tells you how how tight the defence have been in the top six and the clean sheet again is big could have you know, perhaps a bit lucky as I say Luton were the better side but you go away from it and um, happier that you've not lost I guess I think the five clean sheets um, just shows that Bournemouth have got it sorted at both ends of the pitch because the likes mm. of Solanke Brooks at the top end kind of overshadowed the talent they've got at the back only three teams have conceded fewer goals than them this season yeah. so Jason Tindall definitely knows what he's doing because Bournemouth for years now even when they were in the Premier League they were conceding goals for fun weren't they but here they mm. look at so much more solid admittedly it is a step down but Bournemouth currently second, two points clear of Swansea in third. Quick word on Luton, Justin, because they did a brilliant job of limiting the number of chances Bournemouth had. They did. They pressed. They were aggressive. They didn't allow Bournemouth any opportunity to play their game. Um, that mentality change under Nathan Jones compared to last season is a massive shift. It's a monumental shift, in fact. They were easy to play against last season. Um, so to put in that performance against the side with the quality that Bournemouth have is a massive plus. We'll finish off the roundup of games with two games which had controversial decisions in them. Firstly, Millwall versus Forest. That was one all. But should Millwall have had a penalty? The ball clearly struck the hand of Loic Mbiso, but nothing was given. What did you think? Yeah, it's job my memory then. Um, yeah, it was very obvious. Like his arm wasn't even by his body. It was outward. Um, there was no head movement or anything. It just hit his arm and went out. Bizarre. Again. Yeah, the thing that I've seen a few people say was, "Oh, it was going wide." So, so, does it really matter as much? But I don't think that's an excuse. Really, it was a clear penalty. Uh, good to see eighteen-year-old Alex Mighton score his first senior goal for Forest. He's looked fairly promising every time I've seen him this season. Go on. He needs to start ahead of knockout. Well, he has done, and he, he probably will do after scoring in this game. Yes, I just wanted to quickly bring up Forest bench actually because Lal Taylor, Joe Lolly, Anthony Knockout, Harry Arter. Carl Jenkinson there were some seriously big names on there and I imagine on quite big wages as well uh, and finally the game on Friday night between Preston and Bristol City which finished 1-0 to Alex Neal's boys Preston deserved the win here I don't think there's any dispute in that particularly but they got the win from a Daniel Johnson penalty but should it have been given? <laughs> there's argument for it <laughs> yeah I, I'm just not sure how much content there actually was there Scott Sinclair went down very quickly but whether there actually was any contact between him and the Bristol City defender I'm not too sure and then finally Rotherham versus Derby was postponed after an outbreak of coronavirus in the Rotherham camp it's a bit typical that Derby have had two games a week for the past few months and then the first week in a while where there isn't a game that's when your weekend game gets called off typically yeah it's also, it's also the first game any Derby fan would have been looking forward to watching as well <laughs> I'm not going to dispute that right it's time for Who Knows Wins this is our league where you can win money from correctly predicting the results of 
championship games it's really easy to do just download the who knows wins app join our league guess the most correct results out of all the games in the championship the more people involved the bigger the prize the win pot this weekend was 165 pounds lulu and paul mac won 50 quid each they got eight answers correct which is Again, fairly good going after another unpredictable weekend of championship results, really. Right, Justin, we have another Who Knows Wins on Boxing Day. So let's get the Boxing Day games up and we'll go through how we think they are going to go. So QPR Swansea. I'm going to go Swansea. I'll go Swansea as well. Forest Birmingham. I'm going to go draw. I to Karanka Derby. I'll go Forest. Borough Rotherham. Borough. It's got to be Borough. Derby Preston. Ah, oh, that's a horrible one. Um, draw. I'll go Derby. Barnsley Huddersfield. That's a, oh, I hope that's on telly. Um, draw. <laughs> They're two of your favourite sides, that aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Barnsley for me. Bristol City Wickham. Bristol Wickham. I'll go draw. Coventry Stoke. Stoke. I will also go Stoke. Cardiff Brentford. Brentford. I think I'll go Brentford as well. Reading Luton. Hmm. Mm, uh, draw. Yeah, I'll go draw as well. Blackburn Chef Wednesday. Oh, they defend deep, don't they? Wednesday. Um, I'm going to go draw. I'll go Blackburn just because it's a bottom half side. Bournemouth Millwall. Um, Bournemouth. Yeah, Bournemouth for me. Watford Norwich. That's a big game. That is a very big game. I'm going to go Norwich though. You, Watford in turmoil at the moment. Uh. Maybe they'll. I'll go draw. I'll go draw. It depends if they get a manager in that time. Who knows? Right, that's who knows wins. Make sure you join our league to win some big prizes. As I say, the next league is on Boxing Day. So you've got plenty of time over the festive period to join. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And of course, Vladimir Ivic has been sacked as the Watford manager. Justin, your thoughts? It's the right decision. Um, I said at the start of the season that he wasn't getting the best out of the, the players he had available to him. I know there were some injuries, but um, you know I got pelters for it. But you know I'm, I stand vindicated right now. Um, he, was, he was too much of a defensive coach to get the best out of this team. Defensively, they look good. Um, but, you know... They need a manager who's attack-minded. And as well as that, week in, week out, they were playing formation roulette. You know, it was a 3-1-4-2 against uh, Huddersfield compared to 4-4-2 on, um, or in the week. So, you know, he couldn't settle on the side. You know, players weren't playing. It felt like the players weren't playing for him. You know, it's the right it's the right decision at the right time. They're getting it, they're getting it done before it gets worse, I think. Mm. Isco Munoz is the bookies' favourite at the time of recording. Odds on as well. He's the manager of Dynamo Tbilisi over in Georgia. Amongst the other names being mentioned are Slavin Bilic, Paul Cook, Eddie Howe, Slavisa Jokanovic. I'd love to see Jokanovic back there. Uh, in other news, the government's tier system has changed again, which has affected which championship clubs can have fans. We've gone from having nine clubs allowed 2,000 spectators to just three, those being Bournemouth, Bristol City and Norwich. Uh, the FA will be taking no further action against Millwall for the booing which took place when the players took the knee earlier in the month. An investigation was launched, but nothing further will be happening. 
The BBC is reporting the PFA has been called in to offer advice after Wednesday failed to pay its players on time. It's claimed the players only received a a percentage of their November salaries. I've been told that each player is being paid seven grand a week, no matter Mm -hmm. how much they earn. So Barry Bannon, for example, might be on 20 grand or something like that, and he's only getting seven last month. Uh, Those figures might not be correct. That's just what I've heard on the grapevine. But it certainly sounds like something along those lines is happening at Wednesday, and it would certainly go a long way to explaining why they've been so crap recently, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, if you're not getting paid, why should you put the effort in? You know, you've been contracted there. Um, It's a long line of um, errors, not errors, but poor management evidence of poor management from the board there since I don't know it's it's gone down the pan since the last three years and it's a club that is slowly withering which is a massive shame because it's a very good away day there's some very good people up at um up at Wednesday and it would be a shame to see them go down it'd be a massive shame Derby say their takeover is going to happen before Christmas it's after reports in The Athletic that there were growing doubts about the takeover happening apparently because of concerns about Derby's debt and an outstanding legal bill for their new owner. Worth mentioning the word from the club and journalists close to the club. They've been saying it's close to being done now for months. So I take mm. this new statement from Derby with a pinch of salt. It's been 48 hours away for three months. Yeah, it really has. It just <laughs> keeps dragging on and on. And when you, they say before Christmas, well, that's Friday. So Five days. <laughs> apparently something's happening this week. People might be listening to this on Thursday and something still hasn't happened it's complete bollocks (laughs) put simply uh, this is an interesting story Justin the Daily Mail are reporting that Millwall want to block Sky Sports from broadcasting their match with Watford in just over a week's time the club is apparently upset about about the coverage of the whole taking the knee route want to monitor that one Uh, injury news now and Derby defender Curtis Davis is going to be out for a while after having an Achilles injury it's a shame because he's been one of their best players this season hasn't he admittedly it's not been a very high bar but still he was the same last season he came in after everything Keogh got sacked he came in as captain was fantastic Um, he was you know had the captaincy taken off of him not not taken off of him but given to Rooney he was still fantastic he's the ultimate pro at this level and he's 35 now. It's another bad injury. It's, he's done his Achilles before, um, but he's done it in his other foot now. And it's very hard to see a 35-year-old coming back from that. But I'd hate to see his career, because he's a championship legend, and not just yeah. what he's done at Derby, but what he's done previously. It, it, you know, it'd be a shame to see his career fizzle out the way you know through an injury. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When someone is mid-30s and they have a serious injury like this, it's always difficult to see them bounce back from it but I mean he's done it before hasn't he he had a mm-hmm. really bad back injury a couple of seasons ago um, and as you mentioned he is a, is the model pro isn't he he's yeah. someone that players young lads will look up to Coventry captain Liam Kelly is going to miss three months of action with a groin injury as well transfer news could Casey Palmer be going back to Bristol City the Bristol Post is reporting the club are considering recalling him from his loan at Swansea we were saying the other day Bristol City desperate for some creativity in the middle of the park Casey Palmer would definitely be that wouldn't he Sky mm. Sports say Norwich are looking to sign a new left back in January over injury concerns for their current one Jerry Quintia who's had a hip problem since October the funny thing is they have got a left back at the club Sam McCallum but they sent him out on loan to Coventry why they mm. thought that was a good idea 
I'll never know. <laughs> but reports also say there's interest in Spain for Emmy Brendia, which is definitely one to monitor. Sky also say Borough are after Yannick Balassi, which, again, another very interesting one. And the final bit of news from this week, Swansea are spending their Christmas ripping up their pitch. The club's going to install a hybrid turf pitch for the remainder of the campaign. It's after numerous complaints from managers, including Steve Cooper, about the state of it. Now, in fairness to Swansea, and the Swansea groundsmen, they're not the only ones whose pitches have been awful this season, have they? But Justin, you've got a theory about this, haven't you? Normally what happens in pre- well, before pre-season is, you know, pitches get reseeded and relayed. Uh, and obviously we've not really had that time because of, you know the delay in the football etc and as well as that we've had a lot of wet weather but also um apparently the swansea pitch is diseased yes i've also heard that and it does seem to have been confirmed by the club as well i think yeah oh is that it but yeah the, thank you yeah that was it <laughs> there we go that's justin's theory on the crap quality of pitches in the championship <laughs> right let's do some polls justin so at the start of our show on our twitter we asked you three questions that we wanted to get your thoughts on this is an interesting one justin were watford right to sack vladimir ivich yes or no i can't say no now can i after i just said yes so yes they were well 71 percent said no and that does seem They're to just be looking at the table well that's it i think the general consensus outside of Watford is that it was the wrong decision, but people at the club will tell you it needed to happen. Yeah. Uh, will Sheffield Wednesday stay up this season, yes or no? Um, no, I don't think they will. No, I'm. it's becoming increasingly difficult to find how Wednesday will be staying up this season. 68% also said no. And finally, which of these would you prefer to get as a Christmas present? Link shower gel or socks? Oh, that, that's a that's a really hard one to answer. I don't ever get socks for Christmas, and I don't ever buy my own socks. So I've had the same socks for years. So okay. I'd like socks for Christmas. I used to, when I was a kid, hate getting socks as a present because I was like, oh, for God's sake, socks. But now it's like the ultimate thing you can get me. Just get oh. me socks for Christmas. That's all I Please. want. So I would also say socks. 68% of people said socks, although I'm not getting sh- linked shower gel. I'm always in the market Again, for shower gel. I hate going to Boots to buy it. So getting it, getting a, getting a year supply at Christmas is perfect. The thing is, you always get the shower gel with the body spray as well. And I don't mm. know about you, I never use the body spray. I always, really? I just use aftershave. So I've got like links, sh- like body spray just stacking Whoa. up in the corner. Whoa! What? Do, do you not deodorize? I, I put antiperspirant on. Okay. <laughs> and then put aftershave on as well. Just want to make that Dirty clear. Sod. <laughs> Just covering up the stench of BO with aftershave. Lockdown's taking its toll on Ryan. <laughs> right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Mike Duffy from Voices of the Vic and Matt Shaw from the Huddersfield podcast. And he takes that chance. Mike, you've played this game before. How did you do last time? Um, Not very well, to say the least. Caught me off guard a bit. So I think I I laughed at Justin's answer and then give a answer which was actually closer to London than Justin's. So I probably owe him an apology for that. But uh, yeah, hopefully this time around it's going to be a little bit better. I've got complete faith in you. Matt, this is your first time at Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Are you slightly nervous? Yeah, be gentle. 
Sam <laughs> 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 so asked the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight most capped Welsh players, and Justin would say Chris Gunter, that's one down, and Mike would say Wayne Hennessy, that's another down. But if Matt would say Tom Jones, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So here's something that Watford and Huddersfield had in common before Vladimirovich got sacked. Your clubs both have two of the youngest managers in the championship. So can you name me the eight youngest managers in the league? For clarity, we're not including Wayne Rooney because he's only interim. Uh, otherwise, he'd be youngest. Also, Vladimir Ivich isn't on there because he's now been sacked. Although, I will be honest, I was very surprised to find out he was only 43. <laughs> I don't want to rub salt in the wounds, but he looks a lot older. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I'm also worried this quiz might be a bit tricky. So, I'm going to help you out. All the managers on this list are 44 or younger. So, I don't know if that helps or not, but there you go. Um, Matt, we'll go with you first. Can you name me a championship manager who's one of the youngest in the league? Can I cheat and say Carlos Corbran first up? You absolutely can. Carlos Corbran is the youngest permanent manager in the championship right now. He is 37 years old. Mike, can you name me a young manager in the championship, please? I stick my neck out a bit here. He's, um, he's Tyndall at Bournemouth, younger than 44. He absolutely is. He is Ooh. 43. Justin, can you name me another young manager, please? Real Neil Warnock out straight away. <laughs> Uh, Alex Neal, he's ageless. Alex Neal is ageless. Well, it's kind of, he's 39. Uh, he's <laughs> the only other manager on this list who's in their 30s. So, we're back to Matt. Can you name me another young manager in the championship, please? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the Swansea guy's called, you know, when you go blank. I'll go with um, Luton. It's Nathan Jones, isn't it, Luton? Nathan Jones is 47. Oh, oh never. He looks oh, about wow. 32. I tell you what, when I was putting this together, I was shocked to find out he's that old. He's actually on the older side when it comes to managers in the championship. So you're lucky on this occasion, Matt. Uh, Mike, we'll go back to you. Can you name me another young manager in the championship, please? Yeah, um, it's a toss up between two and I know one of them's going to be wrong. Um, Neil Harris. Neil Harris is 43. You are absolutely oh. spot on. You have got one, two, three, four left. Justin, can you name me another young manager, please? I'm still taking aback when Nathan Jones is older than Neil Harris there. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, Dean Holden. Dean Holden, absolutely spot on. He's 41. Mike, back to you. You've got three left. Oh, okay. Um... Gosh, this is a little bit of pressure. Um, I'm Paul Warren. He, he looks relatively younger than 44. Paul Warren is another one who's also 47. So, oh, again, he's another one I was a bit surprised about, about how old he is, but he is also one of the older managers in the league, which is remarkable, really. Justin, we're back to you. It's all on your shoulders once again. You've got three left. Can you name me? Three of the youngest managers in the championship, please. Oh, you know, you know, and the managers have been around for a while, and it just completely, completely throws you. Steve Cooper at Swansea. Steve Cooper is forty-one. That is wow. one. Uh, you've got two <laughs> left. Uh, just in another one, please. Um, Daniel Farker. 
Daniel Farkas, 44. So, yes, you are absolutely right. I just heard Mike say, wow, to Steve Cooper being 41. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just scoot over that. <laughs> that is harsh. I think Steve Cooper is a very handsome man. Justin, you've got one manager left. Um, Can you name me the final manager in the championship who is amongst the eight youngest? I'm going to bottle it, aren't I? I can just, I can feel it. Um, Who are you thinking of? Who's on your mind? I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards Gary Rowett, but he's been around for a while, and I think he's going to just be over forty-four. And Gareth Ainsworth again, he retired at forty, and he's been coaching since then. So he said, uh, Rowett. I'm going to say Gary Rowett. Gary Rowett is forty-six. <sighs> so you've just missed out. That is. Harsh. The manager you were looking for was Velko Paunovic, who is 43. Uh, so, in fairness, all the all the managers who you guys have named and got wrong are all in a similar age group. So it, it was a very tough round. I apologise for making this week's Simon Grayson Tate for late so tough. It wasn't very Christmassy, obviously. <laughs> well, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening, as always. Have we got another show before Christmas? We don't do it. No, of course not. Uh, in that case, Merry Christmas to you, listener. Hopefully Santa brings you everything you want and makes you happy after what has been a thoroughly depressing year. Matt Shaw from any, and he Takes That Chance. Thank you for your time and Merry Christmas. You too. Mike Duffy from the Watford podcast Voices of the Vic. Thank you for your time and Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you guys too. This has been the Second Tier Podcast and we'll be back again on the day after Boxing Day. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you.